0: That's big time. Minus 15.
1: Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he, he belt that one? Intensity is not a
0: perfume. It was a no-doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I am Brendan Mortensen. He is Matt Bonaparte. Bones, it's been a little while since we've been on these couches. And miraculously, we still do not have a softball update. It has rained, I think, every Monday that we have tried to play softball.
1: They like canceling.
0: Yeah.
1: They are pro-cancel. But that's because they're trying to keep the players safe, which I respect.
0: Well, look, if they had one singular tarp, then we (laughs) would be able to play.
1: (laughs) Well, I think they need a grounds crew as well.
0: Not even like a full... Like, Major League Baseball quality tarp. Just I'm just talking like a $15, I don't know if it's $15, like a nice no just blue tarp to put somewhere. Because if it drizzles on Sunday afternoon, I one
1: drop. I we do not play Monday night. I know we're not playing.
0: We're not playing Monday night. So, no update. There's not exactly. a chance. No softball update whatsoever. But we do have a lot of Orioles updates. Uh, they today, play games. They do. They're playing games very well. Today we wanted to do a deep dive into Jack Flaherty because the last time that we talked about Jack Flaherty was our trade deadline show where we were about 20-30 minutes into the trade deadline show because the Orioles made that trade I think around 5.50 and the deadline was at 6 o'clock and we were seeing reports but didn't have anything confirmed so it was hard to talk about the deal where we didn't know the return, we didn't know, really know any of it, so we are actually able to talk about Jack Flaherty today in a deep dive sort of way, but we should start with the updated top 100 rankings from MOB Pipeline. The Orioles have six prospects inside the top 55. That's absurd. It's absurdly good. But yeah.
1: <laughs> and they, what, what is it? Since the middle of 2021, they've been number one. So I think it was said the first time ever uh, that a team has been number one five updates in a row. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's ridiculous. Well, and it helps when you consistently have the number one prospect in baseball, which the Orioles have had for a while. They had it with Abby Rutchman for a little while. They had it with Gunnar Henderson. And now they have it with Jackson Holiday who remains the number one prospect in baseball according to the top 100, beating out guys like Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz, who are inside the top five. I believe they're definitely inside the top ten. Jackson Holiday remains at number one because, in case you haven't noticed, he is 19, playing in double-A buoy, hitting three eighty.
1: Here's a question I want to ask you. Yeah. The hype around Jackson has gotten so large uh, that... I feel as if we are getting close to his father turning from four-time all-star Matt holiday to Jackson holiday's dad.
0: dad. (laughs) And I want to know how close do you think we are to that? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. I will say if you've been following along on uh, the artist formerly known as twitter.com, you've seen a (laughs) lot of videos of Ethan holiday. Who is the number one prospect (laughs) in the 2025 class who just played in a tournament full of the class of 2024 and won MVP. So I think once Ethan Holiday like, inevitably also becomes the number one prospect in baseball, then maybe we get into that category okay. of uh, maybe putting Matt... But he's still Matt Holiday.
1: He's four-time All-Star he's Matt Holiday. <laughs> Excellent <laughs> you know.
0: big league career Matt Holiday. Yeah,
1: fantastic player.
0: We're not there yet, uh, but Jackson Holiday looks like he is... Maybe on his way to being a potential four-time All-Star. OPS over 1,000 in Bowie right now. It's laughable. Most of the guys in A Bowie, most of the pitchers that he is facing are somewhere in the 22 to 25-year-old range. He is 19, and he's hitting three eighty. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say about Jackson Holiday. I mean,
1: he is so good that it just kind of leaves you speechless because there are no words... To describe the kind of rise that he's been on, I mean, the guy yeah. is just ridiculous. And it starts to beg the question he said his goal was to get to AA. Now he's killing
0: AA. Shoot, I mean, he might shoot, he might be in, in AAA by the end of the year.
1: Yeah. That, well, that's what I was leading on to. Like, yeah. at what point does the organization say, all right, like, we're getting close to the end of the year? Why not just a couple games? <laughs> Why a, just not just a couple, a couple games?
0: In the majors. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, no, no. no. Uh, Jackson Holiday is, is unbelievable. He's the best prospect in baseball. I don't really think there's a question about it. Outside of Holiday, in the Orioles organization, you have Colton Kowser who maintains his previous ranking at number 14 in the top 100. Colton Cowser struggled a little bit in the majors. If you've been following Colton Kowser for a while, as we have, obviously... I don't think this was the most surprising thing in the world because Kauser tends to be a bit of a slower starter once he gets promoted to a new level. He's done this at pretty much every level he's been to, which is understandable because you take a pretty sizable jump in talent from level to level, especially from AAA to the big leagues. So Colton Kauser, I am not worried about at all. It's going to take him some time to adjust To the big leagues. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him back on the big league roster this year, especially once rosters expand to 28 for the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if he is the position player that the Orioles call up. And I also wouldn't be surprised if he cracks the opening day roster next year and shows a ton of improvement after another offseason. He's still really young, he's still one of the first players from his draft class to even reach the majors. So I am not worried about Colton Kowser in any way, shape, or form. I think the number 14 ranking in baseball is still very fair for somebody with a five-tool ceiling.
1: I feel like he's just got to see one go in. Yeah. Like, he's just got to go down there, rake a little bit more, be that guy once again, uh, and then have that confidence to go back up and, and, you know, do it at the major league level. Like you said, struggles a little bit every time he makes the jump.
0: Uh, I think he'll be totally fine. I'm not worried about him at all. No. Colton Kowser comes in at number 14. After him, you have a few risers in the top 100. First one being Heston Kerstadt, who is number 25 in the top 100 rankings, demolishing AAA. Yeah. It did not take him very long to prove that he was AAA material. He only spent about I think, 45 games in Bowie, was mashing there. He's been better in Norfolk. He's hitting close to 330. OPS right around 950. I mean, Heston Kerstad has gone from, you know, you aren't really sure what you're going to get from him this year. Obviously has been a little bit slower coming back. Understandably so. The Orioles want to monitor him, make sure that he's all right. And then he comes into this offseason, is a full go, and, you know, wins the MVP of the Arizona Fall League. Great in Bowie, great in Norfolk and has now worked his way into a potential Major League call-up conversation. I
1: mean, I feel like we've been there for a little while. I mean, this yeah. guy has been mashing at every single level. I mean, there's been almost no point in which he hasn't been tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, when we were around the trade deadline and we were, we were talking about potential trades here, there, and everywhere, other teams, other teams' fans on the Bird app, formerly the Bird app, right. uh, were saying, Heston Kerstad's the guy we want if you're going to take our ace. Yeah. Of thing because I feel like from the outside looking in, he's the guy in the Orioles farm system that is potentially, from again an outside looking in perspective, could make uh, an immediate impact right away just because he mashes and he does the fact that Colton Kowser and Jordan Westbrook got up before him is just a testament to the system,
0: right? There's so many good players in it, it's
1: ridiculous.
0: Yeah, Kirstad is a bit of a free swinger. But the free swinging has worked. Yeah. It's not often you say this guy's a free swinger and he's also hitting 330. Yeah, but that's just the case right now. Ryan O'Hearn has not had his best month. He's still been fantastic overall. He's been a great addition for the Orioles this year. If Ryan O'Hearn continues to struggle a little bit. I think we could potentially see Heston Kerstad get called up as that you know same kind of role, the platoon left-handed first baseman, corner outfield type of player. I think Heston Kerstad is right on Ryan O'Hearn's heels. If O'Hearn, again, if if the struggles continue for O'Hearn here a little bit, I think Kerstad could be on his way up. Just behind Kerstad on the top 100 is a huge riser in the top 100. If you have been following the Orioles' farm system closely, you are not surprised at this jump at all. But coming in at number 28 is Kobe Mayo. He is just 21 years old at AAA Norfolk. We knew the bat was always going to be good. He was an overslot selection back in 2020. He mashed in Bowie. He hit I think 30 doubles in 70 something games. But the biggest thing with Kobe Mayo is that just like Gunnar Henderson, the the conversation around Gunnar Henderson forever coming up through the minor league system was he is going to be too big for shortstop. He's going to have to play third base, which diminishes his value a little bit. Still a great player, still has a great bat, but the defense at the hot corner, not as valuable as it is at shortstop. For Kobe Mayo, it was, he's going to have to play first base. He's huge. He's never going to be able to stick at third base. He's stuck at third base. (laughs) And he has one of the best arms in minor league baseball. He's still big, but guess what? He's still fast. He's still athletic. He can still play third base, and that is massive for his value.
1: Yeah, like you mentioned when you began that, he is somehow underrated. Like, people aren't really keyed in on him as they are to other Orioles prospects, Yeah, which is a little bit ridiculous to me because, as you mentioned, he's just as good as a lot of them. I mean, he's very, very good, uh, and it's honestly scary because I don't know where they're going to put him. Like where's a great problem <laughs> like where is he gonna fit into the lineup? I don't uh, know, you
0: figure it out, but I mean uh, not to go off on a complete tangent here, but one of the biggest reasons that the Orioles have been so successful is their depth yes I mean sure. you you look at other great teams around baseball, they don't have the depth that the Orioles have.
1: they're able to put out like four or five different nines that yeah. can beat anybody
0: I mean. Ramona Rios has turned into a rotational piece, and he won a gold glove last year. Yeah, Ryan O'Hearn has probably been the best backup first baseman in the entire league this year. Absolutely. You just had Aaron Hicks come back, and you optioned, because you can, the number 14 prospect in baseball. Like, they'll figure out where Kobe Mayo can go. But even guys, you know, around the league who are really tuned in to prospects and prospect rankings and things like that, I've seen lists where Kobe Mayo... Is even higher than Colton Cowser, where people are saying that he might be the second best prospect in this Orioles system. So Kobe Mayo, nice to see him up at twenty eight, finally getting some more of the respect that he deserves on these top one hundred rankings. Then at number fifty, another massive jump in Samuel Basayo. That's our guy. He is so fun. Eighteen oh. years old. He was in the previous rankings hovering right around that number 100. It was fun when he got into the top 100. Arm strength, power for Samuel Basayo. And at Del Marva, he was absolutely mashing. And the biggest thing with Basayo was that, you know, coming into the year, you knew he was going to be a good power hitter, you knew that the arm was going to be awesome. But The defense has been solid, and the batting average has been great. I think he hit right around 295, close to 300 in Delmarva. And when you have a complete game like that, it just completely launches your potential really into another stratosphere for Basayo. He's only 18, too. He's
1: thrown out 66 guys in 57 games. Yeah. That's
0: insane. Yeah, like that's total insanity. I think he's up to what thirty five percent of would be base stealers this season. I don't know that number, but I, I think that know, I think it's right around that, that he number.
1: Sixty six assists. I don't know for sure if those are all caught stealings, but when you're a catcher, I kind of make that assumption. Yeah, um, yeah, he's he's really really good. And another guy people aren't really talking about. I wonder what's the biggest jump from hundred anybody's ever made from in, in the MLB top one hundred. Because to go from 100 to 50, like, that's, bi- that's kind of nuts. <laughs> that's a big jump. Yeah, this is a kid I'm super excited about. I yeah. mean, th- like, 18 years old, like you mentioned, mashing down low in the
0: minor league system. It's going to be
1: fun to watch him rise.
0: And he's in Aberdeen. Yeah. I mean, like Jackson Holiday was 19 when he went to Aberdeen. And that was still crazy young. Samuel yeah. Busayo is 18. Yeah. So a-, a lot of room to be excited there. And then kind of staying steady in the top 100 is Joey Ortiz. I mean, you could have seen a jump from him too, but I think Ortiz is just about, I mean, he's been better than I expected coming into this season. I think a lot of people expected coming into this season, but he's just been doing his thing all year long. Just hitting a casual 350 in Norfolk. Casually one of the better defensive shortstops in all of the minor leagues. Might be the best defensive shortstop in the Orioles system, period. Joey Ortiz is just a really good player.
1: I've said this once. I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it again after this. He'd start for a lot of major league teams. Oh, yeah. Like, he would start for plenty of major league teams. Uh, The fact that the Orioles have the luxury of holding on to him in the spot that they do is, is so fantastic because, like you said, he might be the most talented defensive shortstop they have, and they have Jorge Mateo. Yeah. Which is nuts. So, considering that, He'd probably be the best defensive shortstop on like half the teams in the league.
0: Yeah, Joey Ortiz kind of for that reason was a name that was tossed around a lot at the trade deadline. Very happy that Joey Ortiz is still in this organization. But when you were looking at trades with teams like the White Sox, it was like, well, you know, they would have a starting shortstop in Joey Ortiz. Yeah, it was pretty much any team that you looked at that was going to get prospects in return for a starting pitcher. The natural jumping point was kind of Joey Ortiz because it was like, well, here's a major league-ready, solid starting shortstop. Here you go. <laughs> what a luxury for the Orioles to have at this point. Yeah, I think Ortiz and Couser are probably the two names that I am looking at the most as guys that could get the call-up when rosters expand to 28. The Orioles will probably go one position player, one pitcher. That pitcher could... Maybe, you know, D.L. Hall, somebody else, maybe just more bullpen help. Brian Baker could get the call back up. But in terms of a position player, you could be looking at two top 55 prospects in baseball at the two most premium positions outside of catcher in shortstop and center field with Joey Ortiz and Colton Cowser.
1: Which, again, like, to have that instead of having to go out and find somebody, I think is so valuable. Yeah. To be able to say, okay, like instead of trying to sign a free agent or look at somebody last minute at the deadline, they can just say,
0: okay, I mean we'll just bring up Joey Ortiz. He's a starting MLB shortstop. That and it gives you more depth to trade from too. Because yeah. if maybe the Orioles are saying, We're not gonna draft a ton of pitchers, you know, maybe we don't feel as confident in developing those guys because we know we can develop hitters really, really well. So maybe they'd just say, okay, we'll keep developing position players, and if we need to, we can go acquire a starting pitcher because we have a glut of talent yeah. up the middle somewhere. Connor Norby not on this top 100, which is kind of surprising. I don't really know why. Maybe they just felt that they were giving the Orioles too much love. Maybe, but Connor see. Norby did nothing to fall out of the top 100. I mean, he's had a pretty good, not great season. I would say for AAA Norfolk, but I I would still argue that it's a very good season. I mean, he's 23 years old, hitting 285 with an OPS over 800. Over 100 games, he's got 15 homers, 31 doubles. That's pretty crazy. And he's a second baseman. Like, that's a good season from Connor Norby. I don't really get why he's not in the top 100. We were talking to him earlier on this season. I asked him whether or not he really pays attention to the top 100. He said the only time he really paid attention to it was when he wasn't in it. <laughs> so I'm kind so you of think bummed. He's,
1: you think he's looking at it every day, bulletin board material, like he's got that up with Dutch?
0: Yeah. Look, it does have to be a little bit of a motivating factor. Cade Povich said the same thing. Yeah. I asked him if he paid attention to the top 100 because he was, I think, in the 50s on ESPN's top 100. He said the same kind of thing. He was like, I don't really look at the ones I'm in. I look at the ones I'm not in. Mm. I like that. That's the kind of guy you want in your system. He can play for me any day. Yeah, so Connor Norby, if you're watching this show, you're not. But if you theoretically (laughs) were, I hope that that lights a fire because he has been very good this season at age 23 in AAA. No reason for him to fall out of the top 100. The Orioles should have seven guys on this list. It's fine that they have six in the top 55. I think eventually soon, too. Just saw Enrique Bradfield Jr. down in Del Marva last night. That guy could be a top one hundred prospect. Really? That guy is my guy, you know. He's a menace. That's my guy. I mean, he got he slapped a single in the third or fourth inning last night. First pitch, steals second. That's my guy. About the third or fourth pitch, steals third. We were talking to him before the game, too. He's like, Yeah, I'll probably steal home at some point this year. (laughs) He did it a few times in college. He's He's, he's good. Yeah, That guy is fast. That That guy can play a heck of a center field defensively. I think he's got top 100 prospect in his future.
1: I think so as well. I mean, also the leadership capabilities he has, uh, the star power that I think he brings.
0: Very charismatic guy. Very nice. Very well spoken. He's a fan favorite. I mean,
1: you know, I love him. That that guy's fantastic. I think everybody uh, who watched Vanderbilt baseball had a soft spot in their heart. Uh, for Enrique Bradfield Jr., and for good reason, because, like you mentioned, he's just a really exciting player to watch. Uh, So I think you're right. He definitely has a top 100 in his future.
0: Yeah. Well, the Orioles have the best record in the American League and six prospects inside the top 55, with a majority of them being at either AAA or in the majors already. It's pretty cool. Pretty, Pretty solid. The Orioles did deal away some of their top prospects in Cesar Prieto, Drew Rahm, None of the guys in the top 100. None of their top 10 prospects. Maybe Prieto would have snuck in there because he was having a fantastic season. They dealt those guys away for Jack Flaherty. Bones, let's do our Jack Flaherty deep dive. It's been long overdue. Jack Flaherty is a really, really interesting pitcher. There has always been a lot of conversation about Flaherty around the league. And today I just kind of wanted to to get really inside baseball. This is one of my favorite kinds of shows to do because I'm a baseball nerd and I like scrolling through StatCast and seeing what things I can dig up. The biggest thing with Flaherty has always been untapped potential and just staying on the field. Yes. So for Jack Flaherty, we can go kind of back to the beginning here. makes 28 starts as a rookie in 2018 and was excellent. 334 ERA, finishes fifth in Rookie of the Year voting. 2019 is really the season to focus on if you want to see the best of Jack Flaherty. He makes 33 starts that season with a 275 ERA, a whip of .968, which leads the National League, 6.2 hits per nine also leads the National League, Strikes out ten and a half batters per nine, only walks two and a half, and allows just twenty-five homers in a hundred and ninety-six innings pitched.
1: That year is so interesting. I looked at it pretty deep last night. Uh he had a four-one seven ERA entering August. Like he was having a mediocre year yeah. heading into the back two months of the season, and then he just flipped a switch and tapped into that potential, like you mentioned. Uh, and he had a .77 ERA in those two months. He had yeah. 11K per nine. He was absolutely
0: ridiculous. Yeah, he wasn't even an all-star that year. You mentioned the first half of the season not being a, He wasn't an all-star. He was fine. And finished fourth in Cy Young voting that season.
1: Yeah, because he was all right. He was a solid starter uh, who I think the Cardinals knew that they had something in him. They right. didn't know when it would come out. And then in those final two months, it absolutely did. Uh, and he put on quite the show. Uh, and that 2019 season, I think, is why a lot of organizations probably called about him uh, around the deadline, including yeah. the Orioles, of course, because they knew that they could probably still get something out of him. They, they know that that's still in there uh, because this guy ha- is clearly capable of flipping the switch. We've seen it before. Right. Um, and you mentioned his hits per nine. His whip that year led the National League, like you mentioned. It wasn't because of his walk numbers, it was because of his hit numbers. He was right. 34th in the National League in walk numbers, third in hit numbers. Actually, excuse me, the major leagues. Yeah. Uh, so he just didn't allow hits, and that's why he was so, so effective. So, uh, and the Orioles an organization that typically look for guys who can control the ball and control the strike zone. Uh, if they take a chance on this guy and they think they can you know, get out of him uh, what the Cardinals did at the back end of 2019, he's going to be crazy effective. Right. Crazy effective.
0: And of course, the biggest question there is just what is different from 2019? Yeah. So in 2020, it's the weird 2020 season. Discount that. It's a wash. 2021, he was good, but injuries started to happen. He made 17 appearances, 15 starts, had a 322 ERA. It's a good ERA. In 2022... He only has nine appearances. Eight of them starts a 425 ERA. So first he has the oblique injury in 2021, and then the shoulder injuries start piling up. He's got a shoulder injury later in 2021, and then shoulder injuries two more times in 2022. So obviously hard to find a rhythm when you're not pitching much at all in 2020 because it was 2020. You're not pitching much in 2021. You're not pitching much in 2022. So entering 2023, that's three previous seasons where staying on the field has been a struggle for one reason or another. And again, hard to find a rhythm when you are pitching so infrequently. Yeah, I mean,
1: especially when you have shoulder injuries uh, and you don't exactly know how it's going to feel the next time you throw a baseball. Right. Um, So... You know, cut him some slack in that regard, but also give him a ton of credit for coming back uh, and being effective when he has been. So, uh, I mean, as an Oriole fan, obviously he wasn't as effective in his first two starts uh, than he was last night, but we know that he's got it because those first two starts were really, really darn good. Eight Ks in each of them. Uh, So I'd be pumped about
0: this guy. Let's talk about the fastball. Okay. In 2019, Jack Flaherty's four-seam fastball had a run value of 22. It graded out as one of the best pitches in the sport that year. In 2023, the four-seam fastball has a run value in the negatives. The spin rate on the fastball has actually been better this season than it was in 2019. So if you're asking yourself, well, what is the difference? If the spin rate has been better this season... It's the velocity. In 2019, the fastball velocity was hovering right around 94. It was at 93.8 to be exact. This season, it's right around 92. So the fastball velocity has been a massive difference for Flaherty. And maybe the Orioles can unlock something there. Because looking at Flaherty's numbers, the two biggest takeaways that I had were velocity and extension. Yeah, extension isn't really something that you can, like, teach. Extension has a lot to do with, you know, height, athleticism, wingspan, all that stuff that you just cannot teach. So there is a certain ceiling to it. However, we have seen the ceiling on the extension from Jack Flaherty. In previous years, in his rookie season, he was in the 99th percentile in extension. In 2019, he was in the 94th percentile in extension. Now he's down to the 83rd percentile, which is still pretty good. He's still a very athletic pitcher. But if you're not getting that same extension, your four-seam fastball isn't going to be as effective. And with the velocity, you know, it's kind of funny. Take this for what it's worth, but when you kind of scroll through Twitter at this point, when people are posing the question of what, starters are going to pitch for the Orioles in the playoffs and what guys can be effective, It the answers are second-half Bradish, post-call-up Grayson, and higher fastball velocity Flaherty. <laughs> which is a very simple way of putting it, but if the Orioles can get more fastball velocity out of Jack Flaherty and make that a more effective pitch, somewhat closer to what it was in 2019... This is a different pitcher. And yes, Jack Flaherty had a blow-up start last night. It happens. It happens to the best pitchers in baseball. Everybody has blow-up starts every once in a while. It's a long season. Not worried about it. But in his first two outings, the fastball velocity was better. He was touching 94 pretty consistently. He was getting up to 96, 97 when he really needed to. I think against the Astros, he had like a 97-mile-an-hour fastball against Jordan Alvarez because he just kind of Emptied the tank on You're it. Bad. Big A, big A, B there. If the Orioles can get that fastball velocity out of Jack Flaherty, whew, which clearly they can. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and they did it with his, with his first start. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, the more that they have time to uh, shape him and, you know, use his arm the way that they want to use it and teach him the things that uh, they believe he need to be taught, I think we're going to see that velocity consistently rise and go back to where it was uh, when he was as effective as he can be. So uh, as an Orioles fan, like you said, blow-ups happen. I wouldn't be worried about last night. He's going to come back. I mean, we were talking about before the podcast, he was one pitch away from being fine. And it he was. was a borderline either way fastball in the corner, and he didn't get the call, ended up walking I believe it was Manny Machado. Um, So he's going to be okay. But like you said, if they can, you know, get that extension where they need it to be and and put his arm where it needs to be, his fastball is going to be just fine. And I think that's a key uh,
0: to his effectiveness on the mound. And there is something to be said, too, where you can't really teach velocity. But for the Orioles, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, the (laughs) Orioles... Have had a way with pitchers over the last few seasons where maybe they're not necessarily teaching velocity. I don't think that's the right word, but they're unlocking things in pitchers that didn't look like they were there. I mean, mm-hmm. I distinctly remember the beginning of the season, Brian Baker started pumping a hundred. And everyone was like, We didn't know Brian Baker could do that. <laughs> but, but Brian Baker apparently could do that. Yeah. Because the Orioles worked with him in the offseason and And apparently Brian Baker could just toss 100. So I'm not asking for Jack Flaherty to get up to 96, 97 consistently with his fastball. His fastball was never overwhelmingly fast. Again, during his peak season, the fastball velocity was at 93.8. A two mile an hour difference on average is still a relatively sizable one. But if the Orioles can get a mile an hour or two with the better spin rate right now, it's a different pitcher.
1: Which I'm sure they can because why do you trade for a guy if you don't think you can? Exactly. Because he was a guy at the deadline. Because, you know, going into that deadline, people were thinking, okay, the Orioles are going to go out and get Dylan Cease or Lucas Giolito or a guy who can be a certifiable ace. And they went and got Jack Flaherty, who I think is, you know, he's a project in, in some way. You know, he's not going to show up and be a number one, you're going to have to put some work into him. And the Orioles wouldn't have gone out and gotten him if they didn't think that they had the right guys uh, to put the right work into him. Right. So I think that Orioles fans should be really excited to see Jack Flaherty every time he's on the mound because you have no idea what kind of Jack Flaherty you're necessarily going to get, but I guarantee you this, he's going to get better
0: Yeah. every single time. Hitters have just been making more contact against Jack Flaherty over the last few seasons than they did when the velocity and the extension was a little bit better. He's not making bad pitches. His command is still good. His zone contact percentage and chase contact percentage, so the percentage of times that a hitter is swinging on pitches in the zone, that contact rate is up. On pitches out of the zone, that contact rate is up. His barrel percentage has remained about the same. Over the last few seasons, so he's still missing a good amount of barrels. His meatball percentage, which is one of my favorite stats on Statcast, because Statcast gets so in depth on everything, and then they just have a stat called meatball, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> His meatball percentage, so meaning just pitches I that are just turned to me and said right down the know. pipe. That percentage has remained about the same, so he's not putting the ball in bad spots. The stuff itself just hasn't been as effective as it has been in years past. And I've hammered the velocity argument, the extension argument here. You could even say if the Orioles can unlock some more spin rate, if the velocity is just down and is going to stay down, he's a little bit older at this point, point in his career obviously has dealt with some injuries too. If you want to just concede and say, okay, the fastball is going to be a mile an hour less than it was before then get the spin rate up a little bit more. Maybe,
1: we'll, maybe they'll turn him into the golden boy of spin rate. Who knows?
0: Yeah. There's a lot of possibilities to unlock the potential here of Jack Flaherty. And I think the biggest takeaway, at least for me, was that we could talk about a lot of the advanced metrics all we wanted in terms of you know expected batting average against, expected slugging percentage, all those things. But I am very confident in the Orioles' ability to take a pitcher... And kind of mold them into something more effective than they had been in other organizations. Because when you look at the bullpen right now, we came into the year. I know a starting pitcher is different than a bullpen arm. But we came into the year saying, okay, Michael Givens and Dylan Tate are the two well-established relievers in this bullpen. And everybody else, you're not really sure what you're going to get out of them. They don't have much of a track record. Maybe they haven't been that, all that great on other teams. Dylan Tate and Michael Givens haven't pitched. Michael Givens just got DFA'd. But you still have Felix Bautista, who had no track record as the best closer in baseball. Mike Bauman, who you thought was going to be a starter, converted to the bullpen, 364 ERA. Yenier Cano, not good in Minnesota. All-star this year. Even Brian Baker, 364 ERA. Danny Coulomb, 277. CNO Perez is back down below four. The Orioles have just been able to find a way to take a pitcher into their organization, figure out what works, figure out what unlocked potential is there, and get the most out of them.
1: And it's not always an orthodox way of going about it. I mean, for Cano, it was an arm slot thing. Yeah. And then he turned into, you know, a machine. So you never know what they're going to pull out of their bag. Uh, and just to go back to his fastball for a moment, I think you alluded to this, Yeah, but Flaherty's fastball, the batting average on it this year is 297, Yeah, the expected batting average, which of all the meatball stats and and high in-depth stats is, is not one of the most, the expected batting average is 238. So that shows you he's just getting a little unlucky with that pitch uh, as well. So, you know, he'll regress to the mean with it too. Right. Uh, and I think that's something you can look forward to as well. Uh, And that combined with whatever magic that I'm sure the Orioles analytics department and training staff is going to put on him will make him into the guy that they need him to be down the stretch because in those high-level situations uh, and as we get closer uh, to fall baseball, he's going to be so darn valuable because he's one of the only guys on this team who's pitched deep into the playoffs. He pitched in a championship series, a division series and a wild card. Uh, He's been there. So I think that uh, Flaherty's been a really good pickup, and I think he's a guy I'm really happy that's in this rotation.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, thinking about a guy like Jacob Webb. Like, at this point when the Orioles... Yeah, happy birthday, recent birthday. When they make a small trade or a claim or whatever it may be, this season I've just been, like, a little bit pumped to see what they get out of these relievers that don't have a good track record, it doesn't matter for me anymore, <laughs> like what their records were. Exactly. We used to come on this show and talk about guys that the Orioles traded for and like relievers and be like, well, they didn't do much before. I don't really, know. it's probably not a big impact, anything like that. So we said about Danny Coulomb in the offseason. And Danny Coulomb has a 277 ERA, has been one of the Orioles' most consistent relievers all season long. Shintaro Fujinami wasn't a massive trade. He's been a little bit up and down, but the stuff is there. If Fuji gets a little bit more consistent, I think he could be a great piece. And Jacob Webb, he had an ERA right around four for the Angels, which was, you know, solid. That was fine. He had a 420 ERA for the Braves a few seasons ago. Four games, four innings, six strikeouts, no runs. The Orioles, man.
1: Yeah. I mean... That's that's the fun of baseball, and I think uh, a lot of teams have done that, but I don't know how many do it as consistently as Baltimore does. No, uh, And, you know, teams, that happens plenty of times around the sport where a guy needs to change a scenery, or there's a team that sees something in a guy and brings him in and applies it, and he becomes a lot better, but not at the rate that the Orioles do it, not at the rate of... You bring in a guy, you can almost guarantee they're going to get something out of him that other teams didn't. Yeah. Um, so again, a testament to what this front office has done, what the analytics and training staff is capable of doing. Uh, and for Jack Flaherty, I don't think it's going to be any different.
0: Interesting to see what the Orioles will do with the starting rotation moving forward. Now as we you know head into the playoff push here, Brandon Hyde mentioning that they might kind of go to a Sort of six-man rotation with Cole Irvin joining the fold, who has looked a lot better. Oh, yeah. As of late, we know Tyler Wells is, they're kind of describing it as just a little bit of a break for Tyler Wells, dealt with a little bit of fatigue, getting towards the most innings he has pitched in his career, as a lot of these guys are. You're seeing guys like Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, Tyler Wells. They're all going to hit that innings max number, not a max, that's not the right word, but they're all going to hit that number of innings that is going to surpass a past number for career them. High. Career high. So interesting to see what the Orioles will do here as they get Cole Irvin into the folds. Maybe they go with a six-man rotation here for a while. We'll see how they manage it.
1: And, you know, again, the depth will help. <laughs> it's going to help that you've got plenty of depth.
0: Yeah. Uh.
1: So they're going to be just fine with the amount of arms that they have. Uh, and like you mentioned, Cole Irvin's been a lot better. How about Grayson since coming up? Yeah. Again, I mean, th- he's been ridiculously good. Exactly what they've yep. needed from him. Uh, and it might be over for the rest of the league if he can be a little bit consistent with what he's got right now because he's gross. Yeah. This like, stuff is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And... It might be over.
0: It, it might be. It could be. Well, you know what else might be over is this week's edition of The Bird's Nest. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here. If you're tuning in live on YouTube and Facebook, of course, you can catch us after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music, wherever you find podcasts, digital shows, you can find our show. We will be back next week. Big thank you to Amy Jennings behind the scenes for producing this one. He is Matt Bonaparte. I'm Brendan Mortensen. We'll catch you next time.